Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 5. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, Matthew 16, and Luke 22. Luke 5, Matthew 16, Luke 22. And we're still on our journey of putting the pieces together. You know, we started out with grace and we went to salvation and, and now we're kind of the 101, I'm calling it. You know, what do you do next? You've experienced grace, you've experienced salvation, hopefully, and now what do you do? And so this morning we're, we're on that part of the journey. And, you know, one of the songs they, they sang this morning, one of the lines that really jumped at me and it said, you don't give your heart in pieces. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is not giving God our heart in pieces, but to give him everything. And, and we're going to be chasing probably one of my favorite people in the Bible, and that's Peter. I love Peter because I remind myself of Peter because I feel like I run out and I do things. And I say, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have cut his ear off yet, you know, kind of like how Peter done. And so, and so we're going to be talking about Peter. And, you know, as we start in Luke 5 in just a second, you know, back in 1912, there was a car called the Model T, and I don't know that there's anybody here that was in 1912 that'll admit it, but 1912, Ford Motor Company had a guy named Henry Ford, and he was thought of to be one of the most creative minds in his age, and he had created the Model T. Well, he had a man that worked for him named William, William Knudsen, and William was considered to be the very best in his field at being real innovative and stuff like that, and he he went to Henry Ford and he says, look, we've been making this car for four years and haven't changed anything. We need to make some changes. And Henry Ford said, no, it's good like it is. Well, then Henry Ford went on vacation over into Europe and was gone for, for several weeks. Well, while he was gone, William created a whole new car. It was a convertible. It sat a little bit lower, had real smooth lines and stuff in it. And the team was really excited about it. And Henry Ford got back from his vacation, and he, they was excited. He said, hey, come look at the new model car that we've got built. What do you think so we can put it in production? And he said he walked around the car, and then he immediately started jerking the doors off of it. He got inside and kicked the windshield out of it, and he kicked the back glass out of it and said, no. He said, we are not changing my car. Well, then William Knudsen just left and went to work for General Motors. And then a couple of years later, Henry Ford realized that he needed to make changes to his car. And why do I tell you that? Because we're like that. You know, we've experienced grace. We've experienced salvation. And then all of a sudden, there's a word that pops up called change. None of us like change. And we have to change spiritually if we're going to grow in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to start in Luke 5. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were coming around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw to water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got, a, got into one of the boats and one belonged to Simon. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. There he sat down and he talked to people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't called anything. But because you say so, I will let the nets down. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. 
And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they, that were, they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, just say that we love you. Father, and I just ask, Father, show us our hearts. Father, show us what we need to change. Father, show us all the pieces that we need to give you, to give you our whole heart. Our whole heart. Father, so that we can be more like you every day. In your son's name I pray. Amen. You know, whenever you read that scripture and you start looking at, looking at it, you know, Peter and them had to change what they was doing right there. You know, Jesus got in the boat. These were professional fishermen. And so they had fished all night, hadn't caught anything. And all at once... Jesus said, hey, you're going to do something different. You know, why didn't he show up in Kentucky, Chance, and tell you to fish on the other side, right? You know, and he said, drop the nets on the other side. We're going to fish different today. And then all at once, the boat started sinking because they caught so much fish. They had to change. Something had to change. You know, there's seven words that will kill your spiritual life and have killed churches all over the United States. Seven words that will do it every time. We've never done it this way before. Have y'all ever heard that? Maybe you've said those words. Never done it that way before. We've never done it that way before. We're not going to do it that way. And when you say words like that, it kills your spiritual walk. It kills the church, you know, because people balk at change. And, you know, yesterday when I come up here and I was going through my notes one more time to get ready for today, and as I was walking around in here praying, I had a real vivid memory come back to me. Some of y'all remember when we was doing the after. Y'all remember the after? And there was one scene in the after, and I wish I had the video of it, and I probably can find it. But it's whenever they was bringing Lane Tress in from that back door. And I think there's still probably skid marks in this aisle right here where they literally drug her, where they was bringing her to judgment. And if you was in it, you remember her kicking and screaming and hollering. And there's some of y'all that are probably still have bruises on your body from bringing her in. But she didn't want to change. She didn't want what was about to happen or her to happen. And there's people right now that we do that. We kick, we scream, we holler, we dig our heels in. We say, no, no, God, I'm not doing this. But you have to change. And what did, what did Jesus tell Peter? It goes on and it says, look, he said, don't worry about this anymore. Don't be afraid because from now on you're going to be fishing for people. You're not going to be fishing for fish. Things are about to change. In Revelations 21.5, it says, Behold, I make all things new. God's telling us, Behold, I make all things new. And when you go on and read that verse, the next line down, it says, Write this down. Write this down. This is important because I'm going to make things new because I'm the Alpha and Omega. God can do great things when people allow him to change their lives. Do you hear that? God can do a great work in our life, but... We have to decide, do we have a little God or do we have a big God? Do we trust God enough that we're going to let him change our lives? Do we trust him enough to say, all right, God, you can be God. I'm not going to say anything anymore. And I want you to start changing things in my life to make me a stronger believer, to make me a better disciple, Father, to make me a world changer, that you're calling me to fish for people. Because believe it or not, he didn't call just Johnny Morgan to fish for people. He didn't call just Donald Turner 
or Mike Feldman or Frank Mons, everybody sitting in this room, he's calling you to fish for people. And there's a lot of people out there that need to be fished for. We went and stood in the voting line yesterday, and there was people in that line that needed to meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so this morning, what are we going to do? How are we going to do that? So let me ask you this question. Is a growing relationship with God worth it to you? Is it worth change? Think about that. Is a growing relationship with God worth the change in you? Go with me over to Matthew now. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. It said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, so right there, we're getting a little bit further along in these guys' journey. These disciples, they'd been following Jesus a little bit more. So then Jesus turns around and he asked them, he said, who do you, who do the people say I am? But then he got more personal. Who do you say I am? You know, it's easy for us to quote. I can go back and quote from Brother Martin whenever I sat under him when he was my pastor years ago. And I can quote Brother Terry Booth whenever I sat under him. I can quote some of the, some of the authors that I've read like Francis Chan and Mark Batterson and different guys like that. I can quote who they say God is. But when it gets more personal is whenever I have to quote, whenever I have to say who God is in my life. And because like Peter, James, and John, and all these guys was walking with Jesus, they saw him when he said, drop the net and catch the fish. They saw the healings. They saw the miracles. They was there day in and day out with him. And so whenever Jesus turned and he said, who do you say I am? And he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Can we do that? You know, so this morning, if I had to ask you, if we had to go around the room, and I'm not going to do it, don't panic, don't melt into the floor. But if I had to ask you this morning, who do you say God is? What would your response be? How would you respond? Would you say he's my Lord and Savior? Would you say that he's my everything? Would you say that he's got all the pieces? Or would you say, hmm? never done it that way before, so I really don't know him much more than what I did whenever I prayed and accepted him. Think about it. Who do we say that he is in our life? So now go with me over to Luke 22. We're going to be in Luke 22. We're going to be in verse 54. Luke 22, verse 54. It said, said, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked at him closely and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. See, and he's getting more emphatic about it. And then it goes down and it says, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this man was with, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. 
And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, had spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. You know, and, you know, so you, we've seen the life of Peter so far. You know, we've seen Peter when he's experienced God, whenever he's really seen God show up in a big way. And, you know, we, and we read about how the fish, and we saw the fish and how Jesus put the call on his life and says, Peter, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for men. And you see how Peter walked away from everything and started following. And then, you know, we get a little bit deeper into it. And we see how Jesus actually looks at him and he questions him. And he says, all right, Peter, he said, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And so we see Peter's growing, right? And we see this progression in his life. But then all of a sudden, you see, whenever Jesus is getting brought to the crucifixion and he's arrested and they're bringing him in, and then all at once, that's where the really the tire hits the road, don't it? And right there at that moment, bad things are happening to Jesus. And in the heat of the moment, they're wanting to capture everybody that's involved with him to stop this movement. And whenever they start looking at Peter and they say, he's one of them. He's one of them. And Peter didn't deny it just once, did he? Not just twice, did he? Three times. Three times Peter denied him. And he had to look at the face of his Savior that he'd been following. The one that told him right before this, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And if you go back and look, what did Peter say? No, no, never, never. And I believe deep down a lot of us are like that. I believe deep down a lot of us think, all right, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to do whatever it takes for you, God. But then whenever it really gets rough and whenever things really start happening and life starts caving in on us, all at once we say, I don't know him. If I knew him, he would show up in my life right now. If I knew him, this wouldn't be going on in my life right now. But what's the real story? The real story is it's because we haven't sold out to him completely. We haven't given him all the pieces of our heart. We haven't done what we were supposed to do. And that's what happened right here. Peter done that. All of a sudden, he looks up and he says, oh, I have failed. I mean, it's one thing to fail your friends. It's another thing to fail your kids or to fail your spouse or to fail your parents, but to fail Jesus. And what does it say? What does it say? It says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter didn't just go outside and get a little upset about it. It says he wept bitterly. This wrecked his world. This rocked him because he did just what he said he wouldn't do. But what you have to look at and where we have to keep going is what did Peter do? You know, what did Peter do? You know, this is the wow moment in this because right here, Peter could have just quit and he could have just said, you know something, God, I'm not worthy. I can't change enough. I'm just going to quit and went away crying. But what did he do? He pulled up his bootstraps, tightened his belt, and he says, all right, God, let's go. Let's go. And then Peter goes and he starts the church. Because what does scripture tell us to in other places? That Jesus said, my church will be built on you. And so you start looking, you know, and you start, 
Peter right there. Peter could have just, he could have just went away and he could have wept and not changed, but instead he changed. He stepped up, you know, and he became a man of, he became a man of faith and not a man of fear. He really dug in and said, all right, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But you know what? Here's the second issue right here that we need to look at also, you know, because how do we respond when somebody blows it? How do we respond whenever somebody messes up? You know, those disciples around Peter, they could have said, you know something, Peter, we're not going to follow you. You blew it. You denied Jesus. Now, they weren't even in the courtyard. They had run so far off, you couldn't even see them. They could have looked at him and said, you know something? You're not a worthy leader. What happens? How do we respond when people blow it? I'm just being real. I've talked to pastors this week. This week, I've talked to pastors that churches are shooting them. Not literally. But churches and people, we have a way of shooting our wounded and not restoring them. And there's pastors right now, right now, that are struggling this week with this morning, are struggling with whether or not they ought to read a resignation letter because of the way their church is responding to things that's not even in their control. But you know what? We have to be churches. We have to be a church of grace. We have to be a church of restoration. We, if we're going to follow God and we're going to believe that God can restore us and if we're going to believe that God can give us grace and we can believe that God can save us, then we have to offer the same thing. And that's what happened to Peter right here. You know, Peter was restored because if you go on in Scripture and keep reading later on, whenever, you know, Christ was um, crucified and he was resurrected and he come back, what did he do? He restored Peter not once, not twice, but three times. He said, all right, now it's time to get busy. You're still worthy. You're still worthy. And so this morning, you know, as we start looking at it, we say, all right, well, I've experienced grace and I've experienced salvation and now I have to change. I have to change. I need to be discipled. I need to be taught. I need to plug in with groups. I need to build accountability. I need to spend time with God. I need to start falling more and more in love with this word. I need to start reading this just to have fun. I need to read this just so I can fall in love more. And then those seven words that kill people and kill a church We've never done it this way before. Those words disappear. That's one of the reasons that I love to pastor live at Baptist Church is because we're not afraid to do things different. We're not afraid to make changes. We're not afraid to to adjust on the fly because it's not about us. It's not about that sign. It's about him. And it's about our relationship with him and us becoming the followers that we need to be so that whenever we're standing in the voting line and we're standing at the all change line or we're standing at Walmart, we're standing in Oak Point, that people can look at us and see something different. They can look at us and see hope and they can see mercy and they can see love and they can see grace. Because I'm still convinced, as sure as I'm standing here, that there's going to be a day that we're going to have to knock these windows out. Because there's going to be so many people around here wanting to hear about God. And wanting to see the life change and experience the life change. But are we willing to do it? So here's my question. 
How about you? Are you passive? Are you passionate? Are you to the point that you want to grow to where you don't care what people think about you? Are you to the point that you want to grow in him so much that when people look at you, they don't see Johnny Morgan no more. They see a Christ follower. Do you want to grow to the point that you're not quoting me no more? You're quoting this. You're quoting him. And you're living it. Because that's what he wants. That's what he wants. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. Just say that we love you, Father. And I thank you for today, Father. And I just thank you for your word. Father, and just how we watched how you took a simple man, a fisherman, and you transformed him into a fisherman of men. Father, and how you built him, and you taught him, and you loved him, and you restored him, and you used him. Father, there's some in here this morning, Father, that need to start that journey with you. Father, they need to to come to that surrender and say, Father, forgive me. Father, become the Lord of my life. Yet there's others, Father, that might need to seek that restoration. Father, they've accepted you, but they've walked away from you. Father, they want to become part of an actively part of a church. Father, it wants to be your hands and feet to this community and this nation and this world. Father, show us our hearts in a way that only you can show us, Father. And let us, Father, respond to you. Father, we love you. In your son's name I pray. Amen.